The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily reflect those of Arcadia, Wesley University, or any of their affiliates. They are explicitly the opinions of me, Jake, and... Me, Tammy. Welcome to the Arcadia Podcast. Um, I'm Jake Newfer. I'm a freshman. On our inaugural episode of this podcast, we're going to be diving into the 2020 Democratic presidential primaries. We'll start by talking about the history of the primary, what kinds of primary elections exist, and where in the U.S. you can find each primary. Hi, I'm Tammy. I'm your other host. And with all that stuff established, we'll start by breaking down the results from this year's Democratic primary up to this point and our thoughts on the primary election process in general. Finally, we'll close with our weekly hot take, cold take segment, where each of our team members will come on the mic and list their very hottest and coldest takes of the week. With all that established, let's meet the team. Okay, my name is Marin. I'm a sophomore here. I'm Gabe. I'm a sophomore. I'm Gavin. I'm a junior. I'm Andrew. I'm a freshman. Okay, uh, those are our producers. So um, first, we're going to talk about the history of the primary process. Yeah, so... The history, if you really take a good look at it, goes back um, to the first nomination process happening between John Adams um, and Thomas Jefferson. And these nominations for presidential candidates were decided in U.S. congressional caucuses among parties. Um, And then basically the congressional state legislative caucuses dominated the nomination process for about 35 years. It's important to note that, uh, you know, the Constitution doesn't say anything about what the primaries should look like, which is why they change so much um, over the course of, you know, our history. Uh, And it's also why um, the parties can really do whatever the hell they want with the primaries, um, which is why it looks so different everywhere. And um, the parties are also not governmental organizations. Um, They don't answer to the government. So... Um, when changes happen in the uh, like party systems, like with the Democrats and their superdelegates, that's just some people deciding to change it. You know, that just happens. You can see that um, Wisconsin was the first primary to use a non-caucus election, selection system in 1905. Um, and then Oregon became the first state to mandate that delegates vote for the winner of its primary in 1910. So in some states, you're actually voting for delegates for delegates who will then vote for who they want the um, party candidate to be. And in other states, you're directly voting for the candidate themselves. And other states have laws about if the delegates have to vote by the popular vote. Um, So it varies state by state a lot. Um, And this period in the early 1900s, where all of these states are kind of getting their first primary Uh, systems in place is why we have this really confusing, messy patchwork of primary systems across the country. Um, It's because a lot of them decided on a system in the early 1900s and they never changed it. Um, That's why Iowa caucuses um, and, you know, it's part of why they're so spread out over like this weird, um, some states do it super much, much, much earlier than others and they don't want to lose that spot. But the, one of the, um, the biggest primary changes happened in 1968, so that's like much you know, fur- further down the line. Um, and that happened when some anti-war protesters, they were protesting the Vietnam War, um, they decided to protest the Democratic Convention for that year's primary. Um, and they really wanted Eugene McCarthy because he was the leading anti-war candidate. Um, and the protests were getting violent, it was becoming this chaotic mess. Um, And then the Democrats decided to pick um, Hubert Humphrey, who um, nobody really wanted. (laughs) Literally nobody. Literally (laughs) nobody wanted Hubert. (laughs) He was, nobody wanted him to the point where he had not been on a single primary ballot up to that point. Not even on a ballot. Yeah, it was a shit show. Um, And so in response to that, the McGovern Fraser Commission was founded to ensure more open delegation procedures, allowing for better represent- representation of minority communities in the vote, um, and it prohibited the private selection of a nominee by party leaders. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of a, a, a tangent on democracy, but if you're looking at like elements of democracy in America, you can see that there's a transition here where it's like more by the people and for the people really getting to choose and be more involved in the process. Whereas previously there was more of a um, kind of hidden elite group picking candidates. And now you can start to be more involved, which is why the 
primaries are so interesting because a lot of people say that they speak a lot to who the like populace and the electorate actually actually care about. Now we can talk about the different types of primaries. And these are for presidential candidates. At a primary, you have voters indicating the candidate that they want to be the party's nominee for president. And based on the voting results, you have um, delegates who are allocated to each candidate who are basically going to um, choose that candidate when they do the actual voting, which occurs in, I don't remember the month, but it happens like a few months after, closer to the actual election. It's like. June or July, yeah, I think. It's closer to the actual time of the election. Um, and that's another um, point of contention about primaries and caucuses is that um, different states have them at different times, although there is like a big chunk where a lot of states have them. Um, and that's something that, that people question a lot. Uh, the caucuses are a little weird because, um, you know, we, 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 we as a country, we, we value kind of like secret ballot you know, you can vote for whoever you want to without um, people judging you for it. And the caucuses are really like the opposite of that. Um, you'll get in a room and you all talk about it and then you eliminate somebody and then you talk about the, re the remainder of them and you, you eliminate somebody. Um, it, it, it's, this, it's this really, it's kind of old, but um, we still have it and we still use it. Um, and uh, it's, it's messy. Um, I, yeah, Marin. Oh, I just wanted to say that caucuses I think are also a little bit weird because you have to go at a specific time to vote which makes it a lot harder if like you have work at like 7 p.m. like most people maybe don't have work but it makes it a lot harder for people to access like being able to vote. Did I make this up or did Iowa do something where like you could like video in or something? Yeah. Yes. Yeah there were like there's one that was like people from Georgia the country I think videoed in because yeah. they couldn't be there. If you if you weren't able to like be there in person, you could actually video in to the one in Iowa, which is the first um, caucus and like primary in the whole session. How would you even move around groups if you're in like the video? <laughs> you have someone holding a phone for you, <laughs> and they bring it with them. Just like spanning, <laughs> spanning across the room. You literally just FaceTime in, and someone holds a phone, and that's you. Or like, or like you're like on a TV screen, and they wheel you around the room depending on where you want to go. Well, like Karen from SpongeBob. Okay. Um. Okay, so a candidate needs to win a majority of delegates to get the party nomination. Um, so that can be awarded in two ways. Um, that can happen by proportion. So if they get 60% of the votes, they get 60% of the delegates in that state. Um, so that's the way some states work. work. Um, and then some states also do winner take all, um, meaning whoever gets a majority of votes gets all of the delegates from that state. We also have superdelegates. Um, we all know superdelegates. Uh, these are delegates who are upper-level upper party officials who are not bound by the outcome of primaries or caucuses. They can support whoever they want to nominate. Um, we know who they, we know who they are. Uh, the superdelegates are normally like kind of top-level party officials. Like AOC, I know is a superdelegate, um, and so you know they, they, they can kind of go whichever they whichever the way they want. So you know, in the upcoming primary, if it came down to it, um, we could be reasonably sure that you know AOC would put her vote towards the progressive candidate. But as a whole, they're probably going to represent the Democratic establishment just because that's, um, you know, mostly who has the superdelegates. Um, so 2016 was kind of a shit show uh, when it came to the nomination. A lot of people were really angry um, about how it panned out. Um, and so, you know, after, after that, um, the Democrats made some changes. Um, and so this year, uh, superdelegates aren't going to factor into um, the election unless... Nobody gets a majority, um, and it looks like that might happen. <laughs> uh, the superdelegate system kind of opens us up for some like weird political maneuvering, which is why it's so bad. Um, well, in my opinion, it's bad. Uh, I, but it's just um, there's no reason the plurality candidate shouldn't win. Um, and you know, if you follow the news, you know Bernie Sanders agrees with me. <laughs> um, he's the only one who agrees with me, actually, um, and that's because he's the one who's probably going to win the plurality vote. Um, so, do you want to talk about that? You want to talk about what's happening right now with the primaries? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. 
so now we can talk about um, what's actually been going on in the actual results of the few caucuses and primaries that have happened so far. So one of the most famous um, caucuses is the Iowa caucus, and that's because it's always first. So there's a lot of attention thrown on it because um, people say that it can say a lot about who's actually going to end up winning in the end. So this year in the Iowa caucus, Buttigieg won a total of 13 delegates, which was about 26.2% of the votes from the caucus. Then we have um, Bernie with 12 delegates and a similar um, percentage of votes, 26.2. Warren won eight delegates at 18%. Biden won six delegates at 15.8%. Klobuchar she won one delegate at 12.3%, and then Yang and Steyer both got zero delegates, but I thought it was worth noting that they got between zero and 1% of the votes. Also, Bernie boy, he, uh, <laughs> he, he, he did win the popular vote in Iowa, yeah. but he got less delegates. Mm-hmm. So just, just a little disclaimer there about those results. Yeah, and it's interesting because there's a lot of... There, there was a lot of news about the Iowa caucus because they failed to release the results. Um, and that was, they claimed it was due to inconsistencies in reporting. Um, so that's been interesting to follow. But they also, like, they just started using this, like, new, like, app technology that they wanted to, like, count all the votes on. So, like, it's, I feel like you should, like, test the app at least before like a big primary that could have a big sway in like many things we do. Okay, I think this is a case of like old people kind of like trying to like use technology to fix something and they don't really know what they're doing. Like I saw I saw somewhere that like the amount of money they paid to have this app made was like way lower than you know people should be paying for like an election affecting app, you know. It it was just a really weird decision on the part of the Democrats to kind of put in a new system and then not test it. Also, another, like, subtle story about this is that Pete Buttigieg was found to, like, give some money to the startup of this app. And at the same time, the second, like, Iowa, like, they said they're not, like, reporting any results yet, like, on on the time they said they would, Pete Buttigieg just went out and claimed victory right away. And so, like, that was, like, a subtle story that was happening. Yeah, a lot of suspicions were raised, especially, I feel, I mean, it's good, like, that there are suspicions, but... I feel, especially with what happened in the 2016 elections where people were suspicious of interference, so people are, like, kind of being more attentive to um, how clean these elections are looking. I also think in terms of the mess of what happened with Iowa, I think what's very important to some of these candidates getting their campaigns off the ground, especially the ones that might not be doing as well um, when they get to Iowa, like, might not be the national leaders, as neither Buttigieg or Sanders were at the time. Um, It's very important to get that media as a winner of Iowa because it's the first state. It shows that voters actually believe in these candidates. But what happened with, with Iowa this year was the mess of the caucus system, the fact that nothing was reported that night, meant that everyone was talking about the caucuses sucked, not that, oh, Bernie won the popular vote or Buttigieg won... A majority of delegates mm-hmm. neither of them actually so like and it is definitely fishy what Buttigieg did by coming out so early with not a lot of information and saying we won but I also I think that it you know the the media not having the chance to to give Bernie and Buttigieg the press that they deserved means that that it was a mess and like the Democratic like the Democratic Party looking like a mess on its very first caucus, like caucus, does, and like very first primary, arguably, it does not like look well on the party. It does not bode well. Like on for the middle, for mil, like middle ground, like voters, like are they going to go to the party that like couldn't even like grasp like who to like pick? Like I feel like that like that just like returns like looks so poorly on on the party. And I feel like that point is kind of a a really like key part of the caucuses which is just the weight that the media puts on them in predicting who the power and support for candidates and like predicting basically what the whole country is going to do um which is why people say 
like some people say that all the primaries should be on the same day or that they shouldn't like it's not fair that certain states have have so much weight um put on their primaries and are so predictive when because it creates it sets up an unfair um it gives some states more power than others in in choosing candidates isn't there like a story about some state like trying to move up their primary time and then New Hampshire slash Iowa moved it even further up because they wanted to keep the first slot? I was looking at something kind of about that too, where like in 1972, there were 42 days between the Iowa New Hampshire um, caucus and then it kind of fluctuated and got smaller and smaller until now there's like seven days. Um, it's also pretty crazy because Iowa sort of has been a really good predicting factor in who actually wins the nomination eventually. So in the past, um, since 1976, um, seven nominees won Iowa, including the last three, um, or four now, sorry. Um, And it's also crazy because Iowa and New Hampshire, which are the first two primaries, are like very non-representative of America as a whole. They're pretty like white states. So it's crazy that they have so much power in like picking who the uh, nominee is going to be. According to the U.S. like consensus, Iowa is ninety percent white people, mm-hmm. and that's like of like of twenty nineteen data. And so like should that should the state that like not representative of like the like they get the first say. So then people get to see like who's in the front, like who's in the lead, like who's actually doing well. And the fact that white people are primarily choosing who like looks good from the get go is kind of like I feel like not fair at least. Especially as the Democratic base keeps expanding to include more people of color, right? It's not even just like an ethics issue. It's also like an an electability issue when you have a candidate that is first and foremost vetted by white people and then they go into the national election and they're probably going to be courting the most minority voters because that's what the Democratic strategy has been. It's it's just it just doesn't make sense, um, you know, practically to be keeping the system. So for New Hampshire... Um, they had a closed primary on February 11th, and Bernie actually won this one um, with the highest percentage of votes, 25.7. But him and Buttigieg got the same number of nine ca- uh, nine delegates, and then Klobuchar won six delegates um, at 19.8 percent of the votes, and then Warren, Biden, Steyer, Gabbard, Yang, they all got zero delegates, but. I thought it was worth noting that they did get like between zero and ten percent of the votes. So I think, um, whereas, so on the night of Iowa, I remember sitting with a friend of mine watching coverage of Iowa, and we were talking more about just the caucus system as a mess. But in the back of our minds, we were thinking, looks like Bernie Sanders is going to narrowly edge out the popular vote here, but he's not going to win delegates. And so, looking forward to New Hampshire, we were like, at least the popular vote was very, very close in Iowa to not anger certain um, bases and to not make the system look even worse than it already was. And I think the fact that we got to New Hampshire and the same thing happened, where Bernie won and won by multiple percentage points in the popular vote, but then did not win any any delegate edge. It, It was basically like a tie again. It's It's a shame to see that someone can get away with not winning a majority of voters and yet seemingly when you get to the convention having tied the state wait actually like how does that like i'm a little confused why is that happening at all like i don't understand how bernie won the popular vote in iowa like i don't know if this is just like it's a weird system and like it's bad or like like how did he win the popular vote and not (laughs) well yeah (laughs) but like i just like can someone explain like why it's bad yeah, so basically in New Hampshire, um, delegates are assigned based on three different thresholds. You have to reach a 15% threshold in the statewide, and if you do that, then you get a certain amount of, amount of delegates. But then also in its in its congressional districts, in its two like um, main congressional districts, you have to reach 15% viability, and that guarantees you delegates. So both Pete and Bernie reached those thresholds um, in all three. And because of that, they were getting the same amount of delegates awarded to them because that, that those were the qualifications. And I feel like this is kind of um, 
along the lines with some of the trauma from the 2016 election of people being upset that Hillary won the popular vote, but because of the the electorate and the electoral college, um, she didn't actually win the presidency. And these, like, systems of representative democracy are statewide and nationwide. Um, And I just think it's really interesting because I would say there are definitely arguments that could be made for, like, states, states' rights and or, like, trying to avoid some states just completely dominating other states say because if it were all completely equal you could say california and new york would just dominate um a lot of the voting but at the same time you can see that like what the actual people are voting for is not being reflected in what happens so even if the democracy is intended to be representative um it becomes a lot more skewed and in in the favor of certain parties Okay, so Nevada, that was the last one that we've had um, before the one happening in South Carolina on February 29th. But in Nevada, they had um, their primary was on the 22nd, and Bernie won again with 10 delegates and a total 46% of the vote, um, a whopping almost 50. <laughs> and Biden... Biden, Buttigieg, Warren, Klobuchar, Steyer, Gabbard all had zero delegates. Um, and then this time, Biden actually got a higher percentage of the votes, 19.6%. So quick note, we don't have the full results yet, um, but uh, there's about 72% of districts reporting as of right now. Yeah. Um, and even at that level, um, Bernie has 10 delegates, and the runner-up is Biden with two. So oh, yeah. Bernie basically swept Nevada to take away from this mm-hmm. it was so lopsided that at like two percent in last night they were calling they were calling the race for bernie because he they knew he was going to win by a landslide i just think it's really important to emphasize how big a role name recognition plays because there's so much evidence that goes into like how americans vote voting not aligning with any like specific party ideas or things that they actually believe in but just like things they recognize or things that they've been told to believe in that's a hot take but (laughs) but um yeah so i think i think part of the reason biden's made it so far is because of name recognition oh i also think the point about like who the democratic establishment is backing is really it's going to be really important especially if like it comes to a contested convention because i like i frankly don't think most of the super delegates would go for bernie so even if he has like the most number of delegates like i if it's not a, like a straight up majority like i would be surprised if he got the nomination um which i think kind of sucks like i think that's a super undemocratic way of running things well let's talk about that what happens when no not when if it comes down to a brokered convention um i mean personally i i don't have a lot of faith in the democratic party they're um historically not very organized people but I, I think they would go for Bernie because um, to, to, to have Bernie win a plurality vote and then to not actually win the nomination would be, it, it would be cataclysmic for the party. Like, the Democratic Party would implode. All, everyone in the far left wing of the party would just riot and flip the table, basically. Let's just sow distrust into everything, <laughs> into, into more people. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that um, I feel like the Democratic I, I don't know. We've seen these parties, this two-party system, and the structure of it maintain itself for so long. But I think that would be kind of the death blow to to a two-party system where half of the Democratic Party, who you know the progressive half that that backs a Bernie-type can- candidate, would be so enraged that they wouldn't register as Democrat anymore, and all of a sudden you'd have. Bloomberg type. I I really th- I really think this might be a hot take, but I really think you'd have like Bloomberg type candidates arise as like the moderate field because I feel like the parties now are so are so ex- like extreme where it's like like Trump is the president. He's also like I don't know. I, I think the parties are extreme. Like maybe they're polarized in in like the things they claim to care about, but I think in practice they're a lot more similar than we realize. I just, 
I don't think there is going to be like an like I'm. There's no uprising. There's no way people are like, what are they going? What are they going to do? Like they're going to vote. Gonna, they're gonna not vote for. And then what? Democrats they already keep don't losing? do that. And, and that and that's <laughs> the thing, right? That's why I don't think it would be the end of the two party system. I think it would be the end of Democrats winning for decades because. Yeah. Which is um, horrifying. It's horrifying because for the, us, if the Democrats <laughs> break up and the Republicans will just keep winning, like they're they're not going to ununify. You know, Trump has proven that no matter what, the Republicans are just going to hold on together. They're going to be held together out of pure spite. Well, um, like not of spite, they'll be held together because they're winning like constantly. And they, like I feel like Democrats will like won't like that. I feel like they use a lot of like more fear mongering and just like like catering to what they know certain populations and demographics want to hear and then they also capitalize on the fact that like individual states do have power equally because of the electorate system i also think it's it's about they're more willing to surrender the party to an extreme candidate than the democrats are like i've talked to some moderates that are very like you know that are very against or like very weary about voting for Bernie in a general if he wins because they just for various reasons and hearing that's unfortunate but it just shows that what happened with the Republican Party is think about it like Mitt Romney voted for impeachment um, and he was a 2012 nominee for the Republican Party and he was kind of more the face of the Tea Party at the time, and he was viewed as very conservative, and many Democrats hated him, and now he's he's kind of more respected by Democrats because he hasn't given in to the Trumpism, you know, the extreme Trumpism that's that most um, Republican officials in Congress have. So I guess, do you guys do you guys think that it's a, uh, it's a possibility that the Democratic Party? Be- Party becomes more um, Republican or old Republican um, as they as I guess more moderate Republicans kind of jump ship from that party and into the Democratic um, Party. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think they don't like Bernie because he's threatening like the systems that they they claim to be separate from, but are still very involved in, and like money still plays such a big role in. Like, even the fact that Bloomberg has been able to do what he has been able to do within the Democratic Party, in my eyes, is, like, ridiculous. And if you just look at, like, Bernie mostly taking small donations um, and, like, actually representing democracy, like, proving that the people want him, um, I think that's why the Democratic Party is threatened by his campaign. And I really feel like with, like, with, like the ascendancy of Bloomberg that, like... Um it, it's basically been the establishment going anyone but Bernie, anyone but Bernie. First it was Biden, and then it was Pete, and now it's Bloomberg, right? Uh, Gavin? I feel like I feel like the party wanted Warren for a second too, though. But back to the Bloomberg trying to buy an election. Um, Tom, Tom Steyer was dropping loads, oh, yeah. loads of money into, into this race. Tom Steyer was, like, spending about as much as Bloomberg. And so... How come all of a sudden Bloomberg is just able to push his way through it? I mean, like, why do we think think that happens? Why do, why do you think that, like, Bloomberg wasn't, like, getting into the primaries as early as, like, Steyer was? Personally, um, I think that it's because Steyer is really kind of a no-name. Bloomberg, people know who Bloomberg is. He's the ninth wealthiest man in the world. He runs a huge, um, like, nonprofit. Like, he, he's really big in, like, the gun advocacy world. Um, and, and so he has a track record. And also, when he was dumping his money in, he hadn't really participated in any kind of debates or anything. So people really only saw, like, the glitzed-up um, ad version of him. Um, and, you know, clearly we know what happens, you know, when people want to see that. Because when he stepped on the debate stage, Elizabeth Warren basically eviscerated him. <laughs> but I, I think it's also important to note that, you know, in addition to Bloomberg's, Bloomberg's reputation with its wealth and everything... Um, he also has a past political history, um, being the mayor of New York, and I know some people who have seen what he's done with that, done with that when he, during his term as mayor, and they they're basing it off of around that, they, and they support him. But it's it's really fascinating to think about how he can because he's his campaign is so focused on pushing ads, you know, the like TV ads, he can paint himself however he wants, um, and a lot of 
a lot of these voters, unfortunately, who might not watch the debates or might not follow the news as closely as avid voters like all of us, they don't actually get to see the side of Bloomberg that was in favor of stop and frisk and that has multiple sexual harassment suits and you know non-disclosure agreements. Instead, what they see is a Bloomberg who apparently is good friends with Barack Obama and loved all of Barack Obama's policies, which we all know is actually not true. He would host dinner parties to shit on Obama. And so I think we're in the age where the fact that he can avoid that, I think that's why he was unwilling. I think that's another reason why he was unwilling to get in as early as Steyer was because Steyer, as we've seen in debates, is actually, he handles himself pretty well. He's, he's very aggressive, but at the same time, he comes off as that he knows what he's talking about. And Bloomberg clearly, as Jake mentioned, got just it – was, it was a joke. Like he, I, I never, I didn't know somebody could be that bad on a debate stage, and it was clear that the reason why he avoided these first four states in the primary is because he doesn't want to have to be in the debates. He he doesn't want to paint that picture of himself because he knows he can't win that way. Yeah, I don't know. This might be like boring to other people, but I just want to throw some numbers in there. So if you're looking at, um, and I also think the reason the actual numbers of how much these people have, like raised in campaign financing is important is because I think it's really important that there's transparency and a lot more transparency about this and like I think that the way campaigns are financed is like really problematic but Bloomberg um, is the top fundraiser by a lot and he's raised like 460 million dollars like over that much and Bernie, for example, has raised 130 million. But if you look at the um, amount that comes from small dollar donations, Bloomberg's not even in like the top five for um, highest amounts of small dollar donations. But Sanders has like 74 million. Um, so that's like almost 50 percent, if not 50 percent, of his campaign is financed by by a lot of people versus small super PACs or small like um, people who are just donating. And also, if you look at the top spenders, Bloomberg has spent f- over $400 million, um, on his campaign. So like you said, he could just paint himself however he wants. Yeah, Gavin. So I do have as like a slight topic change, but what happened to Lauren? It was, it was so interesting because she came out, it was almost like one-to-one, she came out with her plan for Medicare for All, like actually how to pay for it without raising taxes on the middle class. And as soon as that happened, even though you'd think that proving that she could do it without raising taxes on the middle class would be good for her, it it plummeted her campaign because I, I think people just saw the number um, instead of the actual details of the plan, and they were like, that's too much money. And because of that, it unfortunately tanked her campaign, despite the fact that the details of the plan might have been really clever. Did she not also walk it back, though? She, she originally had a much more progressive plan, and then she took it back a little bit because she was scared. Yeah, 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 I think so. Because, I mean, I, would you blame her considering the backlash that it got as soon as it came out? Like, she kind of had to scramble to, to recover because she was almost a frontrunner at that point. And to take such a hit, she knew, if I don't do something, I'm, I'm not going to be the nominee, which I, she clearly wanted to be. I think that a lot of what happened to Warren um, has to do with sexism, honestly. I think that um, a lot of people were already ambivalent about voting for a woman, um, not just because of what happened to Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton, in a way, she kind of ruined it for women because she was the worst. She was one of the worst possible women that could have been picked um, to do it. Uh, but but people are people are scared to do that. And then also, um, you know, there's so many ways in which. A woman, the patriarchy works against a woman candidate. If they're strong and assertive, they're bossy. If they are maneuvering a little bit, like a man, you know, is allowed to do, then um, they're seen as weak. Does anyone, anyone have any thoughts about that? Um, yeah, I definitely agree. I also think that because the I feel like the progressive vote has sort of been split between Bernie and Warren, like that makes it. Like, like obviously it's different from sexism, but I also think that makes it harder for her to like get support 
Um, but I also like I don't know like I support Bernie but I also think that Warren like it would have been amazing to have like a female nominee again but I also like I do wonder about whether a woman could beat Trump frankly like I I hope that that would be possible but like I don't know I'd like to make my case for that Warren would beat Trump because if you look at what Hillary Clinton's campaign did there was first of all I want to keep in mind that she came into that campaign as one of the most hated figures amongst Republicans. Like, Republicans spent the last two decades of her life before 2016 just attacking her repeatedly. And a lot of that in itself was sexism. Exactly. All of that. Exactly. So she comes in with that, already that that sexism that has destroyed her reputation. And then the mistakes that her campaign manager and her campaign made in terms of not even going to Michigan at all, not even putting Michelle Obama or Bernie Sanders in Michigan in, in the general, um, or Wisconsin. It's, it was things like that. It's like, well, would you, I mean, in I know like hindsight's twenty twenty, but thinking about it now, would you really expect, would you really expect to, to do like just to crush Wisconsin if you're not even showing them who you are? So one of my like one of my things that like one of my classes my teacher does like data analysis on like the ads that are spent on by these candidates and Hillary Clinton's ad like structure and like and like her her like goal like when she had an ad normally in the past she did something like other candidates would put their policy like their ideas but her ads were strictly like about like her and like like emo- like her like like her as a candidate they weren't about her policy and that that was something my teacher who like she like has looked at this for many years she's like repeated constantly in like the classes i've taken with her that hillary clinton's like campaign structure and like goal was very like unique and it didn't work like she would like attack trump and that would be her her thing she would she would like try to promote herself as like a good like as a, as a person and so instead of having policy my teacher believed that this like hit her very hard. She also didn't just like throw money at her campa- campaign like Trump in the same way that Trump did. Um, yeah, no, she spent more money than Trump. Well, yeah, because the thing was Donald Trump got so much free press because yeah. he was this unprecedented figure. Really, I mean, since like Andrew Jackson, nobody had been that way, and so when he came, you know, in this age of media and Facebook and Twitter and and you know. Fox News, MSNBC, they were talking about him all the time because he'd be doing such bad things. And I think that also hurt Hillary because she she had to spend the money to get out there. Well, I just think that there were some actual, like, fair criticisms of Hillary as a candidate, which I think are important to not ignore. And, like, like I'm much happier seeing Bernie now doing as well as he is than she is. Like, than, to, than I would be to see her. Yeah. Don't you think... Like, because of that, it would be unfair to compare Warren's, like, like, like the case of Warren for president to the case of Hillary because Hillary had, like, more flaws in her actual... Oh, yeah. As a it's absolutely oh, unfair yeah. to do yeah. that. But, it, but people are still doing it, exactly. you know, in their minds. Because they're women. Yeah, but and because, because the- people are thinking we tried it once, it didn't work. When, in fact, we did try it once, but also it was... It was not a good try. <laughs> also did work because she won the popular vote by 3 million votes. Like what what do you want her to do? Like you you're right. She she made mistakes in the campaign. She was a flawed figure as is, but she still like crushed in the popular every, vote. Everything but everything was stacked against her. Everything was stacked against her and she lost. But people don't see that. People just see the loss and they see that Trump's been in the White House for 3 years and you know the economy is good, and so <laughs> you know, stocks are up. You know that doesn't affect the middle class, but stocks are up, so people are like, "Oh my God, the economy is good." Um, and and people don't see all of these like people don't see all the ways in which the system was rigged against Hillary, basically. And so they do. They're still comparing Warren to Hillary. Um, but I mean, couldn't you argue that like things are also stacked against Elizabeth Warren, like as a woman? Like I mean, as much as they're obviously different people, and I don't want to act like they're the same for like like what we've been saying, but. Like, I I don't know. Like, I felt like when Donald Trump got elected, like, it was pretty obvious to me that, like, the country, like, I mean, obviously, like, she did win the popular vote, but, like, and, you know, the Electoral College is, like, a really 
terrible system as well. Um, but I think to me, like, like my gut reaction in that moment was like, we elected like somebody who sexually assaulted women over like a woman. And like, that was something to me that was like, maybe this country like isn't ready to elect a woman. And like, maybe like, I hope I'm wrong, but like, that was just like my like instinctive reaction to it. Well, I remember at the time I was reading a lot about like, um, I was just reading about support for Hillary versus Trump, and there were just all these, like, statistics about how it wasn't that people were excited to vote for Trump or for Hillary. They just more so didn't want to vote for the other person. So it's not that people, like, even necessarily, like, loved Trump, but they hated Hillary, or they loved Hillary, but they just, they literally just hated Trump and wouldn't want anybody else. And I feel like that's something that's kind of coming out a bit different this this time um, at least for the Democratic Party, um, because I feel like there is kind of more variation among the candidates, um, and they do like have these really interesting platforms like Yang um, with the universal basic income and different things that people can kind of get behind. Um, so I think that's like an interesting difference between now and 2016. And I want to go back to Marion's point for a second because I. I think you're definitely right. And the unfortunate thing is I believe that what it would take for America to elect a woman is for each individual person that doesn't believe a woman get, could get elected to just say, I'm going to vote for the woman um, because I like her policies, because I think she's a good candidate. And I think what people do is they trick themselves by saying, I like, like, I like her policies, but I don't think she can elect she can get elected because I don't think other people will vote for her. Well, it's a and it's just so unfortunate. System. Right, exactly. And it's, it's so unfortunate because it's just like if everybody focuses on themselves and says like, well, who do, who do I think is best? Who do, who do I think policy-wise and charisma-wise, whatever you want, is best to be president of the United States? And that, that's probably what worked against what's working against Warren the most, which is that you know, like you said, for, for it to happen, we would all have to hold hands and say, okay, it's Warren. And, you know, when once electability entered the equation, that people are saying, I just want somebody who's going to beat Trump. That's what a lot of Democrats are saying. That's the narrative right now. And, you know, when that happens, it's not going to be the woman <laughs> because, um, you know, after, you know, again, after what happened with Hillary um, and just based on what we know about this country, people aren't, people are very scared of woman and of electing a woman into office. And so I, I think it's, it's going to be maybe a decade, maybe a few more decades until we see a woman in office because it's not going to happen during a time of crisis like we're in right now um, because people are so anxious and people are so scared of Trump getting reelected. Um, it's going to have to happen when we're all very comfortable and, you know, kind of ready for it. But I feel like it's a little bit like... Uh like we're cutting ourselves too much slack you know like we can say like oh yeah we can like push for that when we're like in a time of stability which is literally never gonna happen number one but also like i think True. people just uh, like people like america's one number one been like unstable from the start in my opinion but um people don't vote by policy preferences like they just don't i mean like you can just see people i mean this is like an old example which still holds true today but like like, get your government hands off my Medicare. Like, people don't... A lot of people who are voting, not everybody, of course, but a lot of people who are voting, and this relates to what I said before about, like, Biden's name recognition, are not, like, voting by... Oh, yeah, like, I have looked at the policies of Buttigieg, Bernie, Warren, Biden, and, like, I think Warren is the one that, like, most represents me. Yeah, so I think that's, like, more of a bigger... I think that's what gets in our way a lot more than anything else and I think a, a big reason for that is because there's not transparency and like even if I don't know this is like what bothers me so much about all these like rallies and events and even I mean even sometimes in the debates I mean that's what really made me mad when like Trump would be in the debate because he had just derailed the conversation so much but like it's all like this rhetoric of like I'm gonna be the person to like make America this and like all this stuff but people don't actually um, bring forward their policies whereas like when Warren came out with her plan for Medicare and like Bernie too I think that's what we need more of and it needs to be accessible to people who have like previously been excluded from a lot of the election pro processes which is why I think that like 
having all the primaries on the same day could make a big change or the like that voting should be much more accessible um, and like voter suppression is such a big issue in our country and it's not just like in the explicit things of like it not being accessible to everybody but it's also in the way we educate people about the elections and about the candidates themselves and where they come from. Okay, so um, I think that's mostly it for today. We're going to wrap it up with our hot and coldest takes. So the first hot and cold take of the week, we'll start with Gabe. Okay, so um, both of these relate to the debate, the, the Nevada debate. My hot take, I read a lot of media coverage after talking about who won, who lost, and... With the winners, um, there were some kind of like lesser winners. Everybody pretty much agreed that Warren was a winner. That being said, I think there were no winners of the debate. I think there were, I think there were only losers of the debate because what I saw on that stage was pretty much vicious, at times unfair attacks by each candidate on the stage of each other, and it for me created just a precedent that the democratic that the democratic party is not supposed to support it's not supposed to be representing um that what i saw reminded me of kind of the trump rhetoric that got him elected of just attacking people viciously and just making some claims like when i saw pete Buttigieg like say bernie sanders will burn down the democratic party if he wins that's not something that's okay to say at a democratic debate to to your voters. You're basically telling them not to vote for him if he wins. Like that's not okay to say. Like you and especially because it's hypocritical because he's the candidate that's on the debate every time always says we need to unite. We need to be a, a unifying party. And then he just comes out and says, well, except if this one person wins, then we're fucked. Like that's not okay. And so I thought and even even Warren, who I did think with the with the Bloomberg attacks, which were totally fair, I think she did a terrific job handling Mike Bloomberg. But when she turned to the other candidates, um, I think about her comment on Klobuchar's health care plan, which I understand might not be fully formed. But to say it's a post-it note that's just insert plan here is it's just I feel like the debates have become who can have the best line. You know what I'm saying? Who can, who can say something that gets remembered the most? And less about, let me actually attack your policy for what it really is. And so that leads to some vicious attacks that are very unfair. Like, that's why Buttigieg said the line about Bernie, too, because it was a quote-unquote good line that people would remember. So that's my hot take. And then my cold take very quickly is that Mike Bloomberg was a terrible debater. <laughs> Just awful. Marin. I call on Marin. <laughs> okay, um, my hot take is that Marianne Williamson should be our Democratic nominee, and I don't care about anybody else. <laughs> um, um, is she still in? Is she still in? No? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, my cold take is that I actually think Bernie Sanders should win. That's brave. That's a brave one. <laughs> Here. Okay, Tammy. Okay. I would say um, my hot take is not so steamy, um, but mine is just more on the idea of having open and closed primaries in general and whether, like, just it's more something that I'm going to think about for the next week of if you should have to be aligned with a party in order to vote um in order to vote for who you think should be the party nominee, because even if you view yourself as a, as independent um, or registered that way, you can still want to have a say in who the Democratic or Republican nominee is. Yeah. And my cold take, ooh, I don't know. I want to think of something, like, pretty cold. I think my cold take is that the South Carolina primary is next week. <laughs> <laughs> Get into Antarctica without yeah. Um I my hot take is that um I 
really like Bernie Sanders' anger, and I think anger should be the language of the Democratic Party for the next few decades. Um, really channel rage. Um, <laughs> if you want a woman to become president, though, that's not the way, because then she'll be called a bitch. Just say. Um, very true. <laughs> I was talking with my, my German teacher about um, how she, we're talking about politics, um, and she told us, she was addressing the class, talking to us about her, it doesn't matter. Um, she told the class um, that she doesn't really understand why young people like Bernie Sanders so much, because to her, he was just like an angry old lefty. Um, and, you know, she's from Europe, so like, to, to her, you know, that's, that's something that's very par for the course, it's very normal. But for us, it's exciting. We don't get anger in America, not leftist anger. Um, I think that anger from the left has been so bred out of our society that we don't even give it air. We don't even let people talk when it sounds like they're advocating for leftist policies. And that's why we've been moving so far right as a country over the past you know, decades. Um, basically since like the 1900s, it's just been left, left, or right, right, right. Um, and so, yeah, I, 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 um, that's what I've actually value most about Bernie Sanders. I think that if he gets into office, um, it could prove that, um, one, a socialist isn't going to make the country implode, and two, um, anger is valuable, and it can win, and it won for Donald Trump. That's how he won. My cold take is about Donald Trump. Um, it's a hot take. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hot take, my friend. <laughs> that, was a good, that was a good one to end on. I have a cold take. Oh, yeah. It's about Donald Trump. I do not like that guy. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of the Arcadia Podcast. If you enjoy this content, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcast, or you can tune in on our website at www.wesleyanarcadia.com. If you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating. If you have an idea for a future topic, you can contact us at arcadiapoliticalmagazine at gmail.com. This show is produced by Gabe Goldberg, Gavin Willis, Marin Barris, um, Andrew Liu, Tammy Shine, and Jake Newfer. It is edited by Conchetta Forio. The editors-in-chief for the Arcadia Political Review are Josh Ledford and Nomi Kligler. Thanks for listening. Thank you.